The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, today our show is about technology and privacy, and we have a real techie with us. Let me tell you about Brian Kenish. He happens to be the founder of Disconnect. And that is called disconnect.me. That's the website. It's a technology startup that helps people understand the data that they share online. And it makes simple tools for users to control their data. Now, Disconnect's first product is a browser extension for Firefox, Chrome, and Safari. It really basically stops the web page users from being tracked. The company's latest release is a crowdsourced project to turn the privacy policies of the most popular websites into a small set of icons. And before founding Disconnect, Brian was an early engineer at Google and before Google at DoubleClick, and at Google, he started work on AdWords, Wave, and Chrome. So he's done a tremendous amount of engineering, so he's a real techie here. And at DoubleClick, he wrote web and mobile ad servers. So he's originally from New York City. He graduated from Brown, which my daughter went there for a summer, and now he lives in beautiful San Francisco. So thank you so much, Brian, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Mari. Well, I don't know if I told you that my son was an intern at Google in New York City. We had, oh, the food there was to die for. So he was a marketing intern. He didn't take the job they offered him, but he sure had fun. So tell us about when you were at Google. Oh, what was that like? Yeah, so Google was certainly a, uh, a pretty amazing gig. And I was there pretty early on back in 2003, also in New York. So perhaps I ran into your son at some point. Um, and uh, like you said, I, I got to work on a, a whole bunch of different projects. And, uh, you know, I, I really loved my job at Google. Um, I was out in San Francisco um, about half a year ago um, and had no intentions of, of leaving at that point until I sort of got uh, swept up into this whole privacy world. Uh, and how did you get all swept up into the privacy world? So I was reading one of the uh, Wall Street Journal's privacy articles secondhand. Um, and this one happened to be about the fact that uh, they caught Facebook leaking personal information to third-party app developers. And that got me thinking about the broader stuff that was going on with Facebook and just how much data they were collecting about their users. And specifically what concerned me was that uh, about a year ago, the, they had released 
this like button, which you probably have seen popping up on all, all, all of these websites that you go to now. Right. Um, and they have uh, additional widgets as well now. And every time you see one of these like buttons, the page that you're on is actually being transmitted back to Facebook, um, which is kind of standard practice uh, you know, with third-party third uh, bits of content. Um, but what makes Facebook different is that at any given time, like right now, there are between six and 700 million people logged into Facebook. So not only is their browsing activity being sent to Facebook, but their names and other personal information are as well. And uh, so that's obviously a, a pretty concerning thing. And, and at the time, um, you know, I, I was looking around for what they were doing with this data, and it was completely undocumented. So they could have literally been doing anything with it. Selling um, it. <laughs> exactly. You know, marketing it. Who, who, who knows what? Right. Um, saving it for future use, uh, for future products. Right, right. Giving uh, it to the government. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I've heard stories that uh, the, the FBI has stopped by uh, Facebook headquarters before and are, are, are chummy with those folks. So Exactly. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I was reading this article. I went home that night, uh, whipped up a, a very quick Chrome extension. Um, I spent a total of about four hours doing it, I think two and a half of which were making uh, a very nice logo. So it was a really, really simple thing. And it stopped Facebook from being able to track your data through these uh, like buttons and other widgets. And I released the thing thinking, you know, 50 people might ever use this thing. Uh, but within two weeks, there were 50,000 people that were uh, actively using it. Now, how did you make that known to everybody that you had? And, and maybe you better tell me. And, and others who aren't as techie, what you mean by a Chrome and what, what it actually did and how you let people know about it. Sure, sure. So Chrome is uh, Google's browser. Um, so, you know, most users are using a browser called Internet Explorer. Right. Um, Firefox is another popular browser. and, and uh, Safari. Yeah. Exactly, Safari. And Chrome is, is Google's upstart entry in, into the browser market. I gotcha, okay. Um, and it has, it's doing quite well. It has about 10% market share now and the the the, uh, the selling point of Chrome is that it's the fastest browser um, so if you want to get around the web quickly you know use Chrome and I, I happened to be working on the Chrome team uh, at that point when I was at Google so I obviously would uh, write an extension for Chrome and an, an extension is a is a small program that you uh, install in, in into your the, your browser and it adds functionality to the browser and how do you install that? You just download it? Yeah, so uh, Chrome extensions are quite easy to install. You just uh, click a button and um, it, it you know, ma- magically, magically installs. So um, how did people know that you, you, you created this? Then how do people know about it? Did you put it on your Facebook? Like, hey, guys, I've created this thing here. You might want to use it. Or how did you do that? Yeah, so I, I had done this late at night. Um, I finished the thing, like I said, in a few hours. And then I, I just put it on my, my Twitter feed. Um, and went to sleep thinking, you know, like I said, maybe a few people would install this thing. And uh, if you're familiar with Twitter, um, people can see what you've written and retweet it or rebroadcast yes. it to their friends. Yeah. And, you know, tons of people had done that. Uh, I think 50 to 100 people had retweeted this thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it got uh, a reporter from TechCrunch got wind of it and wrote a story about it. Hmm. Um, so when I woke up the next morning, I had all these emails and people saying that I was on TechCrunch. And I went over there and Sure enough, there was a you know the most popular article on TechCrunch that day was this extension that I had written. Wow! So so how exactly does it work? So it keeps um, keeps that like button from obtaining your information, or what exactly does it do? 
yeah, so it, it completely makes the like button and other Facebook widgets disappear. So ah. as you browse the web, they just don't get loaded onto pages. Ah. Um, I, I would have liked to make it work a little more subtly than that, so it just wasn't transmitting your data. But in, in the Chrome browser, that was the only way to prevent Facebook from getting your data was to completely block um, their, their widgets. And, um, you know, there's added benefits to this thing. People really like not having the clutter of, of these widgets on pages, and pages load faster because you don't have to load this extra content. So a couple of the other added benefits that I wasn't even expecting when I built the thing. Wow. Now, you know, most people don't even know how it's basically not transparent when you like something. People don't know, well, if I like this, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They think they're doing a favor, like I like this. I see people liking you know, my face page. And I don't even, you know, I didn't, I'm sure they don't know that what's happening with that, with that data that's being collected, do they? Yeah. So it's even worse than that, because even if you don't like something, even if you don't interact with that button, your data, the fact that you're on that page and your name is still being sent to Facebook. So even if you take no action, you're actually sending data to Facebook. And I, I think that's what's so, um, tricky and frustrating about what's going on with data collection on the web today is that so much of the data that's being collected about us is completely invisible to us. We have no idea that it's happening. Right, right. And of course, most people don't even know how to stop it. So is that, is that Chrome extension still available? Like, is that something that my listeners and I can do? Yeah, it is. So if you, if you search for on any of the search engines, Google included, for Facebook Disconnect, it should be the first thing that pops up, and you can install it. Again, that's only available for Chrome, though. Um, since then, um, as you mentioned in your intro, I've uh, created a browser, a, a broader set of extensions that work for Chrome, uh, Firefox, and Safari. And they will block those Facebook widgets, and they'll do a lot more stuff as well. They'll block widgets from other social networks, and they'll also... Uh, let you, if you want, depersonalize your search results. So just like uh, these third parties are able to collect information about the web pages that you're going to, search engines are collecting all the searches that you do with your name. Mm. And that, that's even more, I think, personal information than the, than the pages that you go to. Um, I know that I personally use search as my interface to the web, so every time I'm looking for something, I start with a, a Google search. Right. Um, and again, these guys are collecting your name, and, and Google and Yahoo are keeping this data for uh, 18 months. So they're keeping your, your personalized searches quite a long time. Um, now, Microsoft is Firefox, a little bit better. They, yeah, they isn't collect fi- for about three months. Isn't Firefox, who is it that's only keeping it for like a month? There was, yeah. there, there's one of them. Is it Firefox? So of the big guys, I, I, I think at one point Yahoo announced that they were only keeping stuff for 30 days, but they, right. re- they changed their policy to be the uh, same as Google and keep it for... 18 months. So of the big guys, um, Microsoft is the best right now. They're keeping your data your, uh, for only three months. And uh, they're actually keeping it longer than that, but they're um, anonymizing it after three months. Now, so there like, are, there are like if I use, search engines. Yeah, that, so if that, I, I got a question. So, yeah. so if I use Internet Explorer, right. then that's Microsoft, right? So they're only keeping it th- for three months? Is that what you're saying? Well, so the browsers um, let you choose which search engine uh, is the default when you search for something through the browser. So um, if you're using IE, you might be using um, Microsoft search engine, which is called Bing, but you might also be using one of the other search engines. And um, there are, there are uh, you know, smaller players that are you know, really marketing and building themselves more around privacy. For instance, there's a search engine called DuckDuckGo, 
which doesn't store your personal information at all. Not what for is one that? Day. Duck. Say that slower. It's called, du- it's called Duck Duck Go. Duck Duck Go. D u c k d u c k g o. Yep. Dot com. <laughs> dot com. Okay. Yeah. These names are just great. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so if you but does it is it fast? I mean, can I get to? It's the browser, right? You're using it as a browser, and then it, they don't store stuff. Yeah, so they they don't store personal your searches, you know, with your name, or or they don't personalize the, the stuff that you search for at all. Hmm. Um, it's built. I believe they are built on top of Bing, but I could be wrong. I think they recently switched. So you're getting the same underlying search results that you would get from. Uh, like Bing or what, whatever they're built on top of, but they just don't keep your personal information. So if you're concerned about your searches being you know, stored and along with your name, that's an alternative that you can use. Right. Now, so um, when you're using Google, now Google is your search engine. All right. So, so oh, it gets all confusing. So if you're, you're using DuckDuckGo instead of Google, is that what you're saying then? Uh, that's, yeah, that's one possibility that you could use. Um, if you happen to use the, the disconnect extension that we built, um, you can also continue to use Google and we'll depersonalize your searches for you. So we'll let you search without sending your name to Google. Um, it also works with, with Yahoo. I see. I see. So, um, okay. So how about Internet Explorer? You're not there yet? We are not. It's, it's much trickier technically to write extensions for Internet Explorer. So since we're a, uh, a very small startup, we left uh, Internet Explorer stuff till, till last. I see. I see. Wow. So how many people do you have working with you now? Um, so we are currently a team of three. Yeah. Um, and that's fairly recently. We, we became a, a real company uh, a, a couple months ago. We, uh, we, you know, we, I started this thing out really as just a, a side project. It was something that I wanted to work on, and I thought it would be you know, a, a good resume builder for me. Um, I didn't really envision it being uh, a startup in, a, in itself. Wow. So... Were, were they shocked when you left Google? Um, I suppose so, although there's, you know, 30,000-something people at Google now, so people right. leave all, all the time these days. And I was there quite a while, seven, seven years. Right. So it was. it's kind of like, okay, you're ready now to take off on your own, which is I, quite exciting but scary, too. Exactly, yeah. So, I, I, so uh, as you mentioned, I, I started out in, in New York and uh, moved out to California a couple years ago with the intention of ultimately, you know, working for doing my own startup. Um, at, that, at the time in New York, there wasn't a whole lot going on in, in the startup world, although it's a, a lot uh, more exciting there, there now. Um, so, you know, I had, I had some intentions of doing my own startup, but it certainly uh, at, wasn't my, at, at the time I actually did, it wasn't what was on the top of my mind. Well, right now it's not like the real boom of startups. I mean, how, how easy is it to get investors to get going? I mean, what's that like? Actually, it's considered quite a good time right now to raise seed funding. So um, there are a lot more um, early-stage investors right now than probably there have ever been. So there are a lot of start- startups getting their you know, first small set, set of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the funding industry overall, though, it's kind of a, a myth that it's a super great time to get funding now because um, venture capital funds have about 30% less money in them uh, today than they had about three years ago. So it's this weird combination where the, the, the big players have less money, but there are more um, individual investors that are helping to seed startups. Well, that's good. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a whole different kind of approach. Exactly, yeah. 
We're speaking with Brian Kenish, who is the founder of Disconnect. You go to disconnect.me, which is the website. It's, it's fascinating, actually. I, I was already there, and I signed up for your email to, to, be one of, to find out more. Now, um, let's talk about, first of all, why don't you explain what you meant by social widgets? Because I'm not sure everybody knows all the lingo that you're talking. Sure. So uh, to take a step back, web widgets are bits of content that get included in web pages. So, for instance, when um, you're browsing around the web and, and you're looking at a web page, obviously you see first-party uh, content on that page from, from the site itself. So um, if you go to um, you know, the Wall Street Journal, for instance, you'll see their, their content. Um, but there's also uh, these widgets that are included in the page, which are content from other, other people. Um, and specifically, you might see ads or uh, stuff you won't see but are on the page or things like analytics that are measuring how the site is performing and, and who's using it. Um, and then another category of these third-party widgets are what I call social widgets, which are, um, again, third-party content coming from other sites but um, have some, you know, are affiliated with a social network like Twitter or Facebook or Google, meaning that um, these widgets, um, so third-party widgets in, in general, I should say, are they're transmitting your, where, the location of the page that you're on back to the third party, which is just a, a fundamental part of how the web works. And again, like I mentioned earlier, the, the thing about the social widgets is that there are many people that are logged into these social networks. So not only is it transmitting the page you're on, but also your name and other personal information. And a lot of people put up a tremendous amount of per, personal information. I mean, I don't know if they're they're transmitting everything, like you know their birthday with the year. They're putting their kids' pictures, their kids' names, their cell phone numbers. It you know are, is all that going back? Yeah. So it, ah. you know, basically, what's being sent back is an ID that can be tied back to all of that information that you've intentionally entered into the social network. And I think the scary part is that so you have this this data that you explicitly entered in, and and that's fine because you knew you were entering your your kids' pictures or whatever other information you put in there. But this unintentional information that's being sent um, as well and, and can be you know, associated back to that intentional information, I think that's where things start to get scary because you're, you're, you know, you're just building up this huge amount of, of data about yourself. For instance, Facebook, I recently learned, is collecting 130 terabytes of user data every single day. It's just a, a mind-boggling amount of data that they're collecting about us. Wow. Now, let me ask you something. What about if you put up all, you know, you, you set your privacy, um, you know, policy to be like the most private, that you don't let people in unless they, you know them and they're your friends and, and hopefully you're choosing your friends very carefully. What about that? They're still getting that information though, right? Yeah, so this, this tracking information, no matter what you set your privacy policies at, is still being sent as you browse around the web. So people think that they're really safe if they just don't let anybody in, but they don't realize that even if they don't let anybody in, that Facebook is collecting this. And, and do we know what Facebook is doing with it besides collecting it and storing it? Yes. Yeah, so as I mentioned, at the time that I built Facebook Disconnect, um, I couldn't find any documentation on what they were doing with this data. Since then, um, and as far as I know, they're the only company that's doing this, they have documented what they do with this third-party tracking data, this browsing history that they get about you. So I believe they say that they keep it for uh, 90 days after which they'll anonymize. Oh, I'm sorry, it might be 30 days. It's either 90 or 30 days and after which they anonymize the data. 
And after that, it's pretty vague. So they say that they don't use it for advertising purposes. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that the, the scary part about that is that, you know, they could decide to change that or use this information for other things in the future, other products that we don't even know about or can't even envision today. And they don't even have to get prior permission. And, That's right. And, and, you know, like we're we're out there. We don't really have any laws that protect us, even though there's all these do not track legislation going on, but we really don't have anything yet, do we? That's right. So, uh, and again, Facebook is the only, you know, site that has any documentation on this. Google and Twitter don't say anything at all about what they, what they do with that data. And um, like you said, there's, there's a lot going on in the legislative space now. Um, I think in the U.S. there are currently three federal uh, do not track bills proposed, uh, as well as uh, the quote-unquote privacy bill of rights, which is... Um, co-sponsored by John McCain and John Kerry. Right. Um, and there's also local bills in, here in California. There happens to be a, a do-not-track bill pending. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how that stuff plays out. I, uh, to, to share an anecdote, I, I had a lunch with um, the founder of uh, an uh, identity theft protection company. Uh, I think it was last week or the week before. It's all the days blend, in, blend into one when you're, when you're doing a startup. But um, he, was, he founded his company... Um, seven or eight years ago, and um, as, as I'm sure you're, you're well aware, uh, at the time there was a lot of legislation pending around um, identity theft and getting your, your, your credit scores. And he said, uh, you know, his company put a lot of focus into, um, you know, making sure those bills got through. They even w- went so far as to hire a lobbyist. And I asked him, you know, what was the outcome of all that, and he, he told me that ultimately nothing ever got passed. So they had wasted all this time and effort um, trying to, to push those bills through. And unfortunately, I think there is a high likelihood that's what happens in the do-not-track space, too, because the big guys, Facebook and Google, have started actively lobbying against these bills. Exactly, exactly. It's money talks, unfortunately. Yep. Speaking about talking, you were talking a few minutes ago about the Wall Street Journal, and I and I saw this article. Why don't you tell us about the research that you did for the Wall Street Journal? Sure. So, um I had been talking to a reporter there, and he was interested in, in this social widget stuff that I was talking about. Um, and but he wanted to know some hard numbers, like how big a deal is this really? How you know how prevalent are these social widgets? How much of our browsing history are they really collecting? And you know, I told him that's a great question. I have no idea. Good luck finding finding out. Um, but you know, he's a good reporter, and he kept asking me over and over again. And finally, I I decided maybe I should try to try to figure out. Uh, some hard numbers around this stuff. So we built a, a web crawler similar to um, the, the type of thing that Google uses to go out and index all the pages for their search engine, except what we built was obviously much, much smaller. And we um, indexed, we crawled the top 1,000 websites, so the 1,000 most popular websites, and we analyzed all the pages on those sites to find out what third-party content was included in them. So um, for these 1,000 websites, we found that there were uh, almost 7,000 unique third parties on these sites. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> yeah, so your data is, you know, if you went to all of these websites, your data would not only be in these 1,000 sites, but it would also be going to 7,000 more services. Now, when you talk about, can you say any of the websites that you went to? I mean, are they like bank websites? What what, what exactly were they? What kinds of websites were they? Sure. So we just took the 1,000 the most popular websites, the 1,000 sites that people go to the most often, and we got this list from, from Google itself. 
Um, so these are everything from including Google to Amazon, Yahoo. Um, there's a lot of international sites on there as well, a lot of Chinese sites, Japanese sites, etc. Wow. Wow. And, and so to follow up on that, um, so uh, not only were there 7,000 different third parties, we found that, uh, let's see how good my memory is here, there were 16 different services that were collecting at least 10% of your browsing history. Um, and then there were 33 that were collecting at least 5% and 350 different services that were collecting at least 1% of your browsing history. Mm. So imagine um, you open up your web browser and you go to the history in your browser and you randomly select you know, 10% of the web pages in there and then just send them out to these companies with your name. That's essentially what you're doing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so so the, the Wall Street Journal did, the, did that health study and explained it, didn't they? They did, yes. And, and so the, what they really focused on were the, the biggest of the big data companies. So Facebook, Google, and Twitter. Um, and the information that they shared in that article um, from that research was that uh, Facebook is on uh, a third of those most popular websites. So they actually have a third of your browsing history, again, with your name. Uh, Google has about a quarter, and Twitter has about uh, a fifth. And I was pretty shocked by all those numbers. I had no idea they had already gotten so big. And the data should really be looked at directionally because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, this Facebook like button and their other widgets are just a year old, and they're already on 33% of the most popular websites, and mm. we can only expect that to, to, to go up and up. Oh, my gosh. So we don't have a lot of time. We only have like a couple minutes, but can you tell us how Internet users can protect themselves? I mean, we're going to have to have you back again to talk some more about this because this is, this is just insane, and most people don't even have a clue what you're talking about. So give us some, some tips on what we can do to protect ourselves. Sure. So uh, I, I'd love to talk more about this. So um, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do right now. Um, I'll, I'll just I'll speak to, to two things, and, and this is partly why, why I'm interested in working in this space is because we don't really have the, the tools to provide users with you know, the ability to opt out of this stuff and, and really control their data in a better way, and, that, and that's what we want to work on. But two things quickly. I think... Um, the increased intent attention in the last year or so on privacy is a really good thing. Um, I think the, the number one thing is to realize that your data is being shared um, all over the place, and you know you don't necessarily have control over it. And, and just knowing that, I think, is an important uh, important step. Um, the second thing is, I think, as users, we we really need to demand more control of our data. And specifically, what I would like to see, and unfortunately, it's not even addressed in any of in any of these uh, these do not track or other privacy bills is I would like to be able to go to a website um, like Google.com and request all the information that they have about me yes. and modify that information if I want and, and ultimately delete it if I want. Right. And, and that's something that we, we just can't do really anywhere. There's a small initiative going on in the U.K. to uh, start doing this between, the indus- between industry and, and the government. I'd like to see that also show up in the U.S. I think that would be a really good thing for users. And you also have, you know, you what you're developing, I think, is, is something that might be really helpful, too, is at least with regard to privacy policies. You want to just tell real quickly what that is? Sure. So our, our focus is, is on making really simple tools for, to do this stuff. I think people, a lot of people are interested in privacy, but not enough to spend huge chunks of their time. And, and we want to make it so that you install something in, in a minute or so and, and you're done. You're, you know, you're, you're protected. Um, in terms of these privacy icons, 
so, you know, we did this study with the Wall Street Journal, and we built some internal tools to see all the places that our data is going to online. But again, once the data gets to those places, we have no idea what's happening with them. Mm. Um, unless you read these, you know, privacy policies, which are, you know... Uh, no I mean, one can yep. understand them. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I have a lawyer on my team, and, and he's been going through these privacy policies, and he can't understand half of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we wanted to make... Or even if you understand them, they don't make, you know, like, even if they're written without having, you know, 10 letters for a word, it's still, un- you know, the way they put it together, you have no idea what they're going to do with it. Right. And they, you know, they contradict themselves. They'll, they'll say, explain something at the top and at the bottom of it. In the fine yeah. print, they say something completely different. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're not doing this necessarily to be malicious. Unfortunately, the, the safe harbor laws in the U.S., kind of force them to have these ridiculous privacy policies. Right. So we only have about 30 seconds here. Sure. So sure. So we want to make it much simpler for users. And specifically, we want to turn these long privacy policies into a set of five or so icons. Um, and we haven't defined these icons ourselves. We're actually building on a, a project that the Mozilla Foundation, who builds the Firefox browser, led. And we're going to try to turn the, the 10, top 10,000 websites, their privacy policies, into these uh, small set of icons. So I'm going to tell everybody to go to disconnect.me because that's your website and we can see all sorts of things that you're doing there and and join in and, and kind of support what you're doing and learn what you're doing because it sounds like you're doing great things for privacy. And we're going to have to have you back again, Brian. You're terrific. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me on. Okay. We will have you back again and I, I'm signed up for your email. So thank right. you so much. Take care. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. You can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and please write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 